Advent, week four. We're almost done with Advent. I think Advent technically ends on like Christmas Day. Is that right? Yeah, the Christ candle would be lit there. All right. So um, I'll go really quickly through the Advent recap. I think we've done a pretty good job being elaborate in what Advent is. Someone give me the definition of Advent. What is Advent defined? Someone define it for me. The arrival of someone noteworthy. Someone important showed up. That's what Advent is. And in the Christian tradition, I'm going to move this because I'm going to fall all over this when I start moving around. I can tell this is a move around sermon. Um, you know, like no stool required. <laughs> We're going to be walking today. Um, the arrival of someone noteworthy. In the, in the Christian tradition, that references who? Jesus. That he arrived 2,000 years ago, but he also promised he will return. So Advent has this, he came and he's coming again in every conversation. So we've talked about the hope according to scripture. Look back on it, looked ahead, the joy, the love. And this week is peace. That's what we're talking about. So if you're taking notes, sermon title, peace. On Monday, my wife and I got to go to our, our 20 week appointment for her baby. Um, for our baby, but the baby's in her. She's building a baby right now. It's incredible. She's so talented. She's so talented, just building a child. Um, and, uh, you know, we get to see the hands and the feet. I didn't realize how cool it would be to see bones. I was almost more excited to just see the bone in her arm. I was like, dude, that's crazy. I was like, Leah, how are you doing that? Just explain it to me. How are you building bones in there? It's, it's incredible. It was so sweet. It was amazing. She had a big old head because she's my daughter, so she's going to. No, 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 it's just because it's 20 weeks. No, 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 I'm telling you, she's going to have a big head and a long neck. <laughs> and I'm just going to apologize. Um, really amazing moment. Like, it, it's surreal. Like, I can't believe that we're having a baby. It's super weird, and it's super beautiful. And then on Wednesday, so that was like Monday at 8 a.m. And on Wednesday at, uh, at like around 4 p.m., we're sitting on the couch because we've been out of town, um, and we're taking the afternoon just to relax. And she's like, Josh, I think... I think our, our baby just kicked for the first time. Uh, well, maybe for the second time, actually. I thought it was for the first time. Then Leah told me later, I think it had already happened, so it wasn't a special. Anyway, uh, I'm like, no way. So I put my hand on her belly, and I kid you not, it's like my baby girl knew what was up. What's up, Dad? Fist bump. I mean, I put my hand on the belly and bow, like a punch to my hand. I'm like, my baby just gave me the nucks. You know what I'm saying? It was crazy. How is there a living human in that belly? I'm talking like just so much joy with my baby and her baby. It was so awesome. And in between Monday at 8 and Wednesday at 4, around Monday at 10 a.m., two hours after the anatomy scan, I get a phone call from a close friend that I love very much that lets me know they just found out their spouse has been having an affair for two and a half years. And so Leah and I immediately hop in a car, and we go driving to see this friend. We hang out for the next few days. It was way uglier than we thought. Got to pick that friend up from jail because they assaulted their spouse after finding out about the affair. It was pretty dark. And my week was just consumed. So many tears, so much grief. It's awful. And I just kind of thought of the irony, you know, that's maybe not so accidental. Maybe God in his infinite wisdom gave me a, a sermon on peace on a week like this one. What is peace? How do we get peace? Where does peace come from? in a life where within the same week you get your anatomy scan and find out about an affair, what's peace? 
I'm not trying to be too dramatic. That's just literally what happened this week. Some of you had weeks like that this week. Some of you have had a whole year like this. You got some things you can look back on and you're like, man, that is so awesome, so grateful. But you can also look back and go, I can't believe that happened. I got grief. What's peace? Every week we've been doing the culture definition and then more the biblical definition. I don't have like a Webster's definition for you like Gentry did last week. But I do think in culture, this is just my opinion. Maybe this is too much of a hot take. I think peace is predicated on absence. You have peace when something's missing. You have peace when war is absent. You have peace when turmoil is absent. You have peace when conflict is absent. And I think biblical peace is different. Biblical peace is about the presence of someone proactively restoring that which has been lost or broken. Okay? So peace is not so much just the absence of conflict and war, which that is absolutely a part of it, but peace is about the presence of someone who is actively, proactively restoring what is lost and what is broken. So let's break this down in Scripture. And as always, this sermon was brought to you by Bible Project, all right? YouTube, Bible Project, peace, word study, six-minute video. You're gonna hear a lot of it in this sermon. It's fantastic. Usually I would use a commentary, but Bible Project is being efficient, dude. These dudes are crazy. Use them, all right. In the Old Testament, the word we get for peace is this word shalom. You ever heard that word? Pretty familiar, right? Like shalom, it means it means peace, but really it means complete. Now that's different. Complete or whole. Okay? Let me give you some examples, and they'll be on the slide too. In Joshua 8.31, Joshua instructs his people to build an altar using shalom stones, stones of shalom. In other words, stones with no cracks, smooth, whole, put together. In Job 5.24, Job says that his tents are shalom because he has no sheep missing. His flock is complete, so they're shalom. In 1 Samuel, David checks on his brothers. They've been in war. And he asks about their shalom, their wholeness, because he knows if you're in a war, there's a lot of variables that threaten you feeling together, whole, complete. How is your shalom? Is it together? Is it broken up? Shalom can also be used as a verb. Solomon shaloms the temple when he completes it. He shaloms it. In Exodus 22.5, it says that if someone's animal leaves their property and goes on to their neighbor's property and does damage to the property, the neighbor that owns that animal shaloms their neighbor's yard by taking from their own yard and making up for what was lost. In that moment, they've completed this act of shalom, right? Does that make sense? This also applies to relationships. Proverbs 16, seven says, when a man's ways please the Lord, 
He makes even his enemies be at shalom with him, be at peace with him. Now, this is important. When kings made shalom, they didn't just cease fighting. They started advocating for each other's people, right? They didn't just say, hey, let's stop going to war. They started working together for the better of both sides. Shalom. And since humans are humans, we, left to our own devices, have a real shalom problem. And we can't really help ourselves. As much as we think like, highly of ourselves and our ability to maintain peace, we're not really that good at it. We understand war is a problem, and yet still wars go on. We understand wickedness isn't preferable, and yet still we can be wicked, right? Anyone been wicked this year? Think harder, right? You have been. We can't help but disrupt wholeness and completeness, breaking the hearts of men around us, men and women around us, and God's heart. And that's why the Old Testament, if you, the more you learn about the Old Testament and you get to know its writings, the Old Testament is thirsty. It's thirsty for someone to come and create shalom between us and God and us and us. We need the help of God to establish this wholeness, this completeness between the fractured relationship this way and the fractured relationships this way. In Isaiah 9, 5 through 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom, Prince of Peace. A prince is coming that will establish peace, wholeness, completeness between God and man and man and man. And this is where we're invited into the first advent. When Christ comes for the first time, born in a manger, took on flesh, shalom with God and man. And I just want to, if you're taking notes, there's two things I want to point out about Christ and his first coming. Christ's first coming establishes shalom between God and man. Shalom has been established. And second, his first coming gives us an example of shalom between man and man, okay? So, establishes shalom, God and man. The ultimate human conflict is not flesh and blood. The ultimate human conflict and human source of brokenness is with sin and death. Sin and death is where you and I all have to come to this humble spot of, I can't do a thing about it. As much as I try to prevent my sinning, whether against God or against man, I can't help myself. I can go a few days as a person of peace, but eventually I just come to this spot where I need to apologize for something I've done wrong. Is there anything more inevitable and more out of your control than death? Like, no matter what I do, I just get this gut feeling I'm going to die. <laughs> like, 
as much as I'm trying to not, I'd love not to, I'm probably gonna. It feels a little inevitable. And Christ, the Prince of Peace, came to reconcile and restore sin and death. Jesus says to his disciples, my peace, my wholeness, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let not your hearts be troubled, though trouble is coming. He's looking eye to eye to his best friend saying, I'm giving you my peace. Don't be troubled because trouble's coming, but because of what my death and resurrection is going to accomplish against all sin and death, you don't have to take on the trouble that surrounds you. Hear me, Christian, child of God, you do not have to take on in your heart the trouble that surrounds you, a peace that anchors you regardless of circumstance. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace, we have shalom with God. Through who? Our Lord, Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak, while we were still broken, while our relationships were still fractured, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Colossians 1, 19 through 20. For in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, not your cross, his cross. Ephesians 2, 14 through 15. For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. If you know the, the story of Christ's death, he draws his last breath and there's this veil in the temple that separates man from the holy of holies. In other words, we're too sinful to enter into God's presence. But when Christ breathes his last, the veil, or is it when he resurrects? Wait, thank you. It's when I was like, wait, I don't wanna be, woo, Lord protect me, I don't wanna be heretical. When he breathes his last, that veil tears. He's telling you there once was a wall and you could not freely enter God. There was a fracture. There was brokenness between you and God. But now because Christ took the cross, the perfect lamb of God sacrificed his life, sin, that fracture has been healed. And everyone that calls Jesus Lord, God does not see your past, present, or future sins. He sees the righteousness of his perfect son child of God, there is a peace, a completeness, no brokenness, no fracture that is available in Christ in your walk with God. No longer. When you get to that inner closet, when you're in your car driving and starting to do that stress prayer, do you have to start with, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I've done all these things, I know that I know we're not on good terms. And he's like, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. Adopted, I bought you. I bought this peace, this completeness, this wholeness, and the peace, child of God, that is available to you in Christ cannot be touched by any person, by any principality, by any spirit, by any circumstance. It is always 
turned on. It is always activated. It is always available. It already is. If you call Christ Lord, if you follow Jesus, this peace already is. Most of the time, life is just the work of getting into God's presence and just accepting what already is yours. There is a wholeness in Christ that no affair, that no death, that no disease, when we fully understand it, none of those things have permission or the ability to touch that peace. No height, no depth, no angel, no demon, nothing. This peace between you and God available, it's been established. So Christ, through his death and resurrection, establishes peace, shalom, completeness, wholeness, lacking nothing between you and your creator. Hallelujah. And then he gives us an example. He's the ultimate example of shalom, peace between man and man. In Matthew 22, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, all those things. And equally as important, a shocking statement already that there's anything else that's equally as important, love your neighbor as yourself. Do whatever it takes to have wholeness with anyone in your proximity. Whatever it takes. This is the ultimate way that we witness to the world is that we are a people of peace. And now that we've defined it, it doesn't mean we're a people of withdrawal. We don't just like pull back and, and bring the absence of war. We bring the proactive action of restoration to our neighbor, seeking to make everything right, everything in our power, not a savior complex that it's on us to fix everything, but that we look in our heart and go, God, have I done everything possible to bring peace to this situation? Anything that's broken, how can I help restore it? Let the peace between you and God just kind of spill over into your community. When you fully understand peace with God, this will just bubble up over. And if you want to know what it looks like to be a peacemaker, to be really good at it, a simple task, the simplest, read a gospel and just take notes on Christ. Literally, though, not like, okay, what's this mean for me? Like, what's the metaphor here when he sat and witnessed in John 3, 16 to his enemy? What, what does that mean? He witnessed to his enemy. Okay, how do I do that? What does it mean when he sat with the outsider or the stranger, when he forgave his friends so quickly and never held it against them? God, how do I apply that? It would do us well to literally just pay attention to every time we see Christ make peace and then go, God, teach me this week. I'm gonna to try to obey that. I won't even move on to the next paragraph until I have literally obeyed what I watched you do right there. Life-changing stuff. There is example after example of Christ making shalom with his neighbor from friend and family to stranger to enemy to Pharisee and Roman soldier. It's fantastic stuff. And in Christ's second coming, as we look forward, the hope that Christ is coming again is that this shalom will be made perfect and it will be effortless, y'all. 
wholeness between us and God will be our only reality. And in a world that's broken, I mean, I feel like a dummy even saying that that's possible. Because all I know is depravity. All I see is brokenness around me, mixed in with the glory, but still the brokenness remains. But there is a day coming in all of Scripture. I mean, we kind of covered this last four weeks, but Paul's like, dude, if he ain't coming back, we're dumb. We are idiots. Pity us above all other people groups. The Christians are dummies. But he's coming back. It all hinges on this, that one day we will sit with Christ face to face, chilling. Shalom between us and God, but shalom between us and us. No jealousy, no ego, no pride. No, I'm kind of tired, so I'm extra grumpy today. Don't you, not one more thing. Not, hey, I'm serious, not one more thing. You know, I'm sort of, you know, like none of that. Just completeness, just wholeness. Your roommates are washing the dishes every time. They clean up after themselves and they leave you encouraging stickers on your mirror and you do the same. I doubt we'll be doing dishes in heaven. Maybe, who knows? Um, But that future reality that feels so far-fetched, I believe Christian, like follower of Christ, it is our work to get that more personal, to genuinely anchor our heart in that reality. Because if that's not coming, no, this is a waste of time. Christ, it's because of that picture that I have peace. When my grandma dies of ovarian cancer way too young, like I believe she's with you, Christ. So I got this weird like peace and broken heart and they just like walk together until I'm with grandma. When travesty like this week happens, like thank God one day you're gonna fix this. This is hell. I need some heaven and it will come. It's what gives us hope but it has to be real in here. That's the work we're left with. Like, Christ, please, this isn't like a hope-filled novel that helps me escape reality. It's a more permanent reality than my current one. Help me, Christ, anchor my heart in the future reality that is more real than this one so that I may anchor my heart in a peace that cannot be touched by person or circumstance. So for this current moment, What is our relationship with peace? What does it look like for you and I to be people of peace? I made up a word. It's not real. Shaloming with an I-N-G. We don't need more homies. We need more shalomies. We need more people of peace. We need to get real good at shaloming in our life with God and with man And if you wouldn't mind forgetting what I just said and then pay attention to this next part. We need to get really good. I'm talking about professional level good at receiving peace and making peace. Take notes. If you're not a note taker, please just write down, receive peace and make peace. With receive peace, I want to talk about you and God. I believe that with God, most of the peace available with God is just something you need to receive. But I had two words come to my mind that I just haven't been able to get out of my head. What does it look like to receive peace with God? I got two methods, rest and wrestle. Let's talk through these two things. I believe some of us need to rest. Some of us need to wrestle. Some of us need to do some kind of ratio of both. Rest and wrestle. Let's talk about rest. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God. 
In a world that is always moving with chaos and calamity, read Psalm 46, it's just chaos in there until verse 10, and God speaks out, be still. If I stay quiet much longer, this whole room gets anxious. We got a problem with stillness. Why is it weird to be quiet? Nothing's happening. And the stillness is not what's going to bring us peace. It's the stillness that helps us receive the peace of God that is available. It's the stillness that helps us embrace and exist in the reality that is already ours for the taking. In John 15, 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Hang out in it. Soak in it. Sponge in it. No, 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 a little longer. Nope, no, no, don't get up. Nope. You stay right there. And you just meditate in my presence. I love you. I know you do. No, no, hey, hey, I love you. I, yeah, I know, I know. Now, will you help me? No, no. I love you, seriously. And you stick right there, and you abide in this, and you soak it up for 20 minutes longer than you think you need, because you're my daughter. You're my son. I don't want you going out there and tethering your peace to your circumstances or your relationships, because surely they will be disrupted. Abide. Don't go anywhere. You stay right here. And as chaos addicts, this will take time. Be patient. Be persistent as you learn how to just rest in the presence of God and be on the lookout for the illusion of rest. I'm convinced many of you have moments of resting that are not resting. You may be sitting down. You may not be doing anything productive, but I don't think you're resting. One of my prayers this morning was, God, will you help this worship team and, and me to, to rest with you on the holiday, not away from you? I remember my pastor, my mentor, his name's Dave, telling me that, that when he vacations, he always tries to remember to rest with God, not away from God. I'm like, dude, what are you even talking about? Just go to the beach. Hang out, dude. It's all good. If you don't read the Bible, who cares? Like, it's vacation. You're a pastor. Of course, I'm young and naive and an idiot, so he's onto something, clearly. But he's learning. Like, God's not work. God loves you. <laughs> who better to go on vacation with than God himself? the God of rest, the God of nourishment. Imagine spending time with God with nothing to do for the day. You don't gotta pray for your annoying people that you work with and the stress of your job. You're on vacation. On Christmas day, if there's nothing to do, hang with God with nothing to do. Christ says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. We forget, he says, learn from me. My yoke is easy. Gentry and I have talked about this a few times in the last few weeks. My yoke, two oxen with a freaking 
yoke, like a thing that attaches them to, and there's a younger oxen and an older oxen, and the younger oxen is attached to the older one, and the younger one just like watches the older one. Okay, we stepping? We're stepping. Oh, we turning? We're turning. Jesus says, take my yoke. If you want rest, follow me. Like, walk with me. When I step, you step. What I do, you do. When I rest, you rest. In Luke 5, 16, when it says, he often withdrew to desolate places to pray through the night. What does that mean? God, teach me to withdraw to desolate places, free of Netflix, free of Instagram, free of TikTok, free of the app I've never heard of that you're all on, free of it. Away, solitude. There's so many moments in scripture where God says, or scripture said that Jesus prays through the night. I don't think he's sitting there praying for all his friends all the time. Be with them, be with them, be with that person, be with this person, help them pass the test, heal them from cancer, blah, 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 blah. What now? I think so much of Christ, and that's all good prayers. We know that in scripture. But I think half the time, Jesus is just with the Father, resting, being restored. In Matthew 4, after 40 days of praying and fasting, it says the angels comforted Christ. It doesn't even say Christ asked for that. Just as Christ, after 40 days of praying and fasting and fending out the enemy, was just comforted. I think God wants to do that for you and for me. That it's in that place of rest and solitude that beyond our explanation, we've received the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Maybe of the angels. I don't know how it works. Anyway, rest. All right, wrestle. This sounds weird. You guys still with me? I'm going extra long today. I have like a few more minutes plus some. So lean in, lean in. Um, Okay, wrestle. It sounds weird, but some of you are not being aggressive enough to embrace and live in the peace that is available to you with God. When Jesus is sleeping on the boat and a storm arises, the disciples go, Jesus, wake up. What does Jesus do? He raises up and he rebukes the storm, rebukes it. It's like he's mad at it, the one in control of it. It's like, hey, no, down. And it happens. I want you to search your life right now, in your mind. What do you need to raise up and rebuke in your life? There are sources of chaos and calamity and addiction and distraction that you need to rebuke. God, where's my peace? He's like, look at you. You're inviting over and over again, chaos, calamity, addiction, distraction, like all the shows you watch. Leah and I have been talking with our house church. We watched a terrible show, won't name it. Don't wanna give you ideas, terrible. I'm like, who are we? We're inviting this kind of stuff in our life and then like, man, why isn't the presence of God in our home? What? Like, dude, look through it. What shows, what apps? What false versions of rest are inviting your brain to just be stimulated? What anxious thoughts are you just too chill about? When's the last time you said, you know what? I am, I'm going to start going to war against this anxiety. This anxious thought, this worry I have, like, oh, I'm going home for the holidays. Ah, You know what? No, no. Christ, we're bringing peace to this. I don't want just these thoughts to stop. I want to think about how I can restore the way my thought process is. Rebuking the chaos, 
of distraction, rebuking the chaos of the need to keep being productive and keep moving, rebuking the chaos of weed and alcohol and all these things that give you this quick little, just like glimpse of like, I feel good, I feel released, only to come back down and need it again. Like, no, rebuking the chaos of your diet that is just full of caffeine and sugar, and you're sending your heart rate to the top, and then it plummets, and then it goes to the top, and you're just like, why am I so emotionally unstable? Dude, your diet. I don't know why I'm talking about all this. I think it's real. I feel like God is like, man, there's so many different factors. You live in a culture that never learned to tell you sugar is destroying you. I'm going to find a way to talk about this more at some point. We live in an image-obsessed culture that tries to shame you for how you look and what you're eating. That's totally wrong. No, but food is doing something to your brain. I don't, I'm going too far. Watch your sugar. (laughs) It's not good. (laughs) One more thing in the wrestling. I think some of you need to wrestle through some realness with God. You need more honesty in your life and you need way more honesty in your prayer life. In Luke 22, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he doesn't like fist bump the father and go, it's all good, cross is coming, we're chill, let's do this thing. Is that what you want? Cool. No, he's anxious to the point of death and he says, Father, remove this cup. I don't want it. Hey, I don't want it. Do you know that about Jesus? He asked the father to remove the cross. What the? Glad the father didn't listen. You know? That sounds uncomfortable. I don't think Jesus was making it up. Father, remove this cup. Believe it or not, I don't want to be nailed to a wooden beam and absorb the sins of humanity. Not appetizing. Sounds dark and depraved and awful, and it was. But he ends that prayer with just dynamite. Not my will. Your will be done. Let me tell you this. Aggressive honesty mixed with aggressive submissiveness is dangerous in the kingdom of heaven. When you learn how to be aggressively honest, aggressively, this is how I really feel. He's like, I know, glad we're talking this out finally. Mixed with aggressive submissiveness, your kingdom come, your will be done. God, please don't let him die. God, please help me get this job. God, please help them love me. Make it happen. But not my will. Your will be done for your glory and my good. Aggressively honest, aggressive submissiveness. A good example of this is in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. We really are almost done. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I challenge you, after that Garden of Gethsemane prayer, go find a moment before the cross where Jesus doesn't seem like he's completely at peace. Anxious to the point of death, remove this cup. Not my will, but your will be done. And the rest of that, the rest of the time, that dude is borderline stoic. Authority's like, I could kill you, you know, and he's like, not even talking. No one, he could strike him dead. He's just like, I'm in the Father's will. We're doing this thing. Whether resting or wrestling or both, the peace of God is yours to receive. Last thing. I'm going to keep saying that because I'm nervous because I know I've been preaching for a long time. We're all human. Um, All right. You got to make peace with others. Live a life 
that is conducive to peace. The peace of Christ in us helps us make peace out here in our world. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So if we walk that backward, in order to maintain or restore shalom with our fellow man, it will take humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. I want you to think about someone that gets on your nerves right now. It will not take finger pointing, but hand holding. Not accusation, but affirmation. Not arrogance, but empathy. Not revenge, but restoration. And all of that takes work. Takes humility and gentleness and patience and love. It took real effort for Christ to make peace. It will take real effort for us to make peace with our friends our family, our parents, our siblings, our spouses, our kids, our roommates, our coworkers, our enemies. But here's the call and the privilege of you, child of God. It is our command and it is within our power to restore, to go above and beyond, to make shalom. Christ has made us whole. Therefore, we strive for wholeness. Void of ego, Void of pride, void of revenge. If you don't think God is preaching this sermon to me right now on somebody I want to get revenge on, oh Lord, I ain't even ready. How you want me to make peace? I may not listen, but just go ahead and tell me. How do we as Christ's followers live as peacemakers, giving to others what has been given to us? So for reflection and communion, There's two avenues you can go with this. You can think about you and God or you and your fellow man. The first two are about you and the Lord. The next two are about you and your fellow man. How does today shape your understanding of peace with God? I think these are too many questions to reflect on today, so I would just tell you to either choose one and two or three and four, and then maybe write down the others and take some time this week. Do you feel you need to rest or wrestle? And then like, What's a really practical way you can do this? Three and four, how does today shape your understanding of peace with others? Is there someone specific God is placing on your heart and mind to make peace with, and what can you do specifically? Now listen, I already said this, but this isn't a savior complex thing. It takes two people to tango, right? It takes two people to make complete peace with each other. But if there's anything that you can do on your end, what might that be? So we're gonna take like five minutes, maybe seven minutes, to reflect. If you're the kind of person that needs to journal, please do that. But you've got like a 70% chance of forgetting everything I've said if you don't take some time to critically assess this conversation. So right now, next five to seven minutes, we're going to play some soft, soothing music. Make this yours. Try to answer these questions. See if God wants to lead you in anything. Love y'all.